The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Monday, April 24th, 2017. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. I've been monitoring right-wing radio to get a sense of what stage of grief they're in about the O'Reilly firing. Now, Ben Shapiro's been on this show. He made the case that it was a witch hunt. That's what everyone's saying. But he also expressed true disgust with the way O'Reilly was alleged to have acted towards women. So points for Ben. On the other hand, the New Yorker had on Rebecca Solnit, and she said, It's hard not to be full of gorgeous schadenfreude at seeing uh, O'Reilly go away. And it's a huge victory to not have his voice out there. Really? Tucker Carlson's voice is going to be a lot better? Or The Five? I would just say it's nice that a creep got his comeuppance, a lying creep at that. But overall, I did want to check on the stage of grief, and what I found was the stage of grief they were on, anger. Turns out Right Wing Radio was angry. Little denial, a lot of anger. Go figure. Glenn Beck is fascinating. He really does know how to spin a yarn. Conspiratorial, crazy, but he builds to crescendos. He says now is a time for choosing. If his listeners don't stand up now, they could lose all of Fox News and what that meant for the movement. He calls himself an analyst, right? So uh, O'Reilly, he says he was never an analyst. So Beck is saying that when he took a bunch of information, like Fox's talking points of the day, and spun it out to some crazy wild conspiracy thing, that wasn't a crazy wild conspiracy thing. That was analysis. And he said, O'Reilly never even did that. And they came after O'Reilly. Who's next? They could get him. They could get, I don't know, me, you, Ainsley. So compelling, so dramatic. So from Beck to Buck, Buck Sexton, he had a different take. Buck Sexton, former CIA analyst turned GOP gabber. He's a fill-in host for Rush Limbaugh sometimes. He has his own show. He says Fox will be fine because there's a lot of other talented youngsters there, like, say, Tucker Carlson, 47 years old. But Buck also does say the left knows no bounds. The leftist machine, man, it is, it can get you. It can get any of us. And... It's really just a question of do the only thing that can protect uh, somebody on the right in the public eye. Not grunting around a black female employee and then calling her hot chocolate. Is that the one thing? Not attempting to sleep with a contributor, then saying her purse was ugly after she shoots you down. Is that the thing? No, that's not the thing. The only thing that can protect uh, somebody on the right in the public eye. Uh, is if the audience, if if supporters stay with the person, that's it. Because you can't count. We don't have enough of a megaphone in the in the media. Look, not even a rally. Don't have enough of a megaphone to fight back effectively in the propaganda wars. But you know what? It's the callers I love. Let's go to Richie in West Virginia. I don't think he should have got fired. Boy, the only way I can relate personally and naturally, I'm not any celebrity or anything. But when I the job that I used to have, I used to go in the back to get some different things for customers and a woman who was working with me would come back there and say to me hey richie let's go upstairs for a quickie and she did that probably six or seven times i knew her husband i told her i said you know we can't do that so finally i just said when she did i said let's go and she said i was just kidding well uh there's no way i could have reported her because they would just ignore me so i don't know i sort of think it's with bill O'Reilly. i think this whole thing was overblown Okay, truly parallel stories. It's almost like you're living the same life. And look out for Richie's new book, The Richie from West Virginia Factor for Kids and Killing Fillmore. Richie from West Virginia writes the story of the time Millard Fillmore was offered a quickie but couldn't corroborate it. 
On the show today, the horrifically artificial yardstick of the first hundred days. I will defend Trump's criticism of that metric, and we will try to find the time period that looks more kindly upon his accomplishments. Might be a cosmological time period, in which case he's barely a blip. But first, my next guest is a comedian and a questioner, though not at the same time. That'd be all set up, no punchlines. I don't know, Moshe. What is the difference between an epileptic corn farmer and a prostitute with the runs? My God, how long do I have to wait? Not so long. Here's Moshe Kasher. Moshe Kasher is a lot of things. He's uh, He's been in the podcast game for years. He's a very successful stand-up comedian. He recently went on a honeymoon comedy tour with his wife, Natasha Leggero. Um, I guess the honeymoon's over. The tour's over. But now he has a new show on Comedy Central. It's called Problematic. It's a little part Phil Donahue, and I use that description because that's the one Moshe uses. Doesn't say Oprah. Doesn't want to appropriate Oprah. Uh, it's a little bit panel discussion it's a little bit audience discussion it's a little bit country it's a little bit rock and roll and moshe is here hey how you doing i'm i'm well is this is the, this is the show you wanted to do yeah this is the show i wanted to do I, well i wanted to do there were some other shows that i wanted to do but this is the, yeah. this is the talk show i wanted to do so this is where things start to get a bit more complicated right black hair is one of the most sensitive topics that you can discuss oh under the cultural appropriation <laughs> umbrella and this is a picture of kylie jenner wearing dreads <laughs> I got to give her credit. Like, this is the least offensive thing a Kardashian has ever done. (laughs) I mean, the issue underneath the issue is always the power differential, right? It's that people of color get punished for having their own thing, for wearing their hair the way they want. And people like Kylie Jenner get the cover of Teen Vogue. This was from the cover of Teen Vogue. And problematic. Is this your idea, the title, the name for the show? Well, me and Alex Blagg. One of the creators of At Midnight got together and we created this thing together, including the name. Yeah. And problematic, I think it's a pretty perfect summation of what it is because we're dealing with societal problems, but also problematic is the ad hominem screech from across the ideological divide. They go, whatever you've done that doesn't agree exactly with the thing that the person yeah. accusing you of it is, they scream problematic at you. And so hopefully we'll be able to scream problematic at America. And it's also vague and kind of incorporates or encapsulates therapy speak, which is part and parcel of the new sensitivity. Uh, Maybe so. I I appreciate you thinking that it's vague. (laughs) (laughs) No, as a specific complaint. I think you're right. Yeah, it's 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 uh, annoyingly vague. You're right. Called it. It it means like a gen. I generally don't like what you're doing. I'm not exactly sure what you're doing, but I in general don't like it. It also does the thing where you take a perfectly good word and add some syllables to try to gussy it up, but you're really just uh, defining it down. That's a problem. What do you mean? I mean, it's problematic. How about problematize? Yeah. That's a nice word. Episode one is about cultural appropriation. We tackled cultural appropriation. Episode two is about how the internet is changing our minds. How the internet is changing our brains. Brains. Rewiring us. Rewiring them. And that was really interesting to find out about. Uh, A really interesting conversation with the guy Nicholas Carr who wrote the book The Shallows. How the internet is changing our brains. Yeah. And uh, basically this idea that our brains are becoming shallower and shallower as we take in more and more information we retain less and less that the kind of fire brigade bucket churn into 
short-term to long-term memory is being disrupted by disruption, essentially, that we are so distracted by all this onslaught of information that we aren't taking things in and keeping them. And the reason that we're so distracted by all this information is that there are behavioral scientists literally at work right now attempting to get your focus on an app on the screen and never, ever let it go. And you volunteered for it by bringing your smartphone with you. You know, it used to be that the laptop was shallowing our brains and then they made the laptop pocket size and we put we strapped the laptop to our back and now the monkey is within us and soon virtual reality the monkey will be we will be the monkey okay so let's say our brains are rewired how's that how's that affect comedy what but no i'm just but, kidding but, there yeah, you go it, you if know, you laughed listen, the answer a is classic it zinger yeah i don't know for sure but i do know that many comedians report back that twitter in particular has taken away a lot of what used to be the comedian's churning process, right? So you used to have a, a funny idea and you would like, you'd nibble on it and chew on it for a while. And now what you do, you just type it in Twitter and send it out into the world and then it kind of blips out of your brain. So I do think that with all things introspective, the shallowing of our brains has been affected, including comedy. That's on the that's on the comic though. You go off Twitter. You don't have to be on Twitter. It's true. You don't have to use Twitter in, as a as a scratch pad. You, you don't can have, just use it to promote dates. You don't or have re re post Breitbart, whatever you want to do. Yeah, but that is what I want to do. I want to <laughs> repost Breitbart. Yeah, but that's it is on everybody. Yeah, everyone should log off and get their brains back, and yet we don't. I want to ask you this. I've listened to a lot of your podcasts. Used to do The Champs with Neil Brennan. Yep. Love that show. Thank you. You have a show now that's a town hall, but it's not called town hall. Oh, no, it's a spoonerism. Yeah. Hound Tall. Hound Tall. Perhaps the worst name podcast in the game? <laughs> Some might say. Well, only because you get so many dog enthusiasts checking you out. <laughs> well, actually, it's isn't it more... Like, I think a spoonerism is anything with uh, misplaced uh, syllables. But Listen, it's, I didn't even know what a spoonerism was until I confronted the fact that my podcast was very poorly named. Yeah. I came up with it in a dream and I thought, hmm, how clever. And then I did it and I was like, this is very difficult to explain. The 900th time I said hound tall, like a, a hound dog, like a tall dog. At any rate, yeah. it's a podcast. It's actually... Beyond being a spoonerism, with it, which it is, it's a chiasmus. Ooh, I Do you don't know, know about this. No. You probably used them. Kennedy did. It's the inversion of a phrase. So ask not what your country could do for you. Ask what you could do oh. for your country. Mm-hmm. We better put kids, more kids into Penn State than the state pen. Yeah. So when you reverse the first, I'd rather have a bottle in front of me than a frontal lobotomy. Sure. So, okay. So I really wanted to ask this question. Is it harder to marry comedy with actually believing in something? You know, I think what's lucky about my show is that I'm not. I'm not actually attempting to create a churning vehicle for my belief system. No, but I just mean your stand-up. I mean, you're a guy with beliefs. You're a guy who I think maybe the first level of the comedian is the jester who mocks everything, and you have to have that in you, but you don't do that. I mean, you have a point of view, and you don't want to just take shots at things you don't believe in. Well, I don't know. What's interesting is... uh Things change, you know, and I think part of what's wrong with outrage culture in, in, in the world is that a lot of people, and this is people on the left and I'm, on, I'm a lefty, they don't give credence to change and time in the way that they ought to. You know, when you go into someone's Twitter feed and you deep dive in and you find a tweet from seven years ago that was like problematic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're not giving credence to the fact that people have changed and that time changes people and people adjust and also that people now leave digital footprints. And when you find a tweet, it doesn't represent the person you're looking at. It represents what where the person was years ago. Right. So is it hard to marry 
comedy with your belief system. I think if you're doing comedy that isn't in step with your belief system, then what are you doing? But that said, my belief system about comedy is that the primacy of the comedian's job is to create laughter. It is not to make good points or do, to do great justice. But you would never, you would never accept the laughter if it's based on a premise that you don't believe in. I don't know if I even think that's true. There are things that I don't think are funny, yeah. right? And if I don't think they are funny, they're either just because I don't find them stimulating personally or or because I find them anathema ideologically. But I've always resented, and I don't think you're suggesting this, but I've always resented the idea that the primary positioning of the comedian ought to be to bring like great change or social yeah. justice or, you know, but it's a thing now. People go like, if you're not speaking truth to power, who are you really? It's like, I don't know. You know, I'm a comedian. I'm like, not every comedian is supposed to be talking about their deepest truth. Like, if you're not more worried about being uh, funny than you are about being just, then I guess you're not really a comedian. You're like a clever activist. If that. <laughs> uh, the last thing I wanted to ask you, so are you having uh, an episode on privilege, the idea of privilege? I think that's a good idea. Not yet, but I yeah. like that. I really wanted to do, there's a lot of op- of episodes that we haven't done yeah, we're doing a six episode order for our first few. So that's not very many. And if we get more, you know, please, please, Jewish God. Um, I, that's we, the Jewish God is the studio, uh, the uh, network exec yeah. that will make the decision. And he insists on going by that. By <laughs> <way>. <laughs> but anyway, I'm a Jew, Moshe Kasher. At any rate, um, <laughs> if we do more, I, there's so many fertile places to go. I want to do one on identity. I'd like to do a I'd like to do an, an episode on identity that started at trans and went like way further, you know, though it didn't start at like the cis or whatever it started at trans like that was trans is the most milk toast thing right right go well, to. look, we could all agree trans i mean yeah. that's definitely right. a thing now that's let's move on let's get into yeah. it let's yeah. get out into the ether um i'd like to do trans that might make trans people uh uncomfortable i think like it's... on the one hand you'd think oh they should be all embracing on the other hand there's this thing of the la- last group to maybe gain acceptance anytime right. someone goes past that you're like wait a minute you're gonna screw it up for us well i think that is interesting for leaving trans people aside for a while and that's happened throughout history yeah um, and that's i think in law in north carolina <laughs> but i think that it's an interesting phenomenon that every comedian knows where you're going through you're making fun of you know I'm just for the sake of this point that I'm making. You know, you make fun of the Italians and everybody's like, ah, ha, ha, ha. You make fun of the Mexicans. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Make fun of the Jews. Ah, ha, ha, ha. And you make fun of the Chinese and someone stands up. Hey, I'm Chinese. Right? So like that thing, like the per- the person that laughs right until the moment that their group is being discussed. Well, I, I got to I'm not, I don't have time for that. You know? I want everything to be on the table, not fo- not as fodder for comedy, but as fodder for conversation. You said in an interview, maybe it was with Marin or somewhere else, that the you were talking about possibly cultural appropriation or a show of that ilk, that the absurdist elements certainly are absurd. I think societally we've really focused on the absurdist elements. But my question is, sure, Breitbart's going to take the crazy example yeah. of Oberlin having a protest yeah. over sushi, sushi. Yeah. and pretend that that stands for the whole. And yet I do wonder, the more I am exposed to actual college kids and you play college campuses, it's not an entire uh, caricature. Like I, there is a lot of absurdity going on. I couldn't agree more. First, the most absurd thing is the way you pronounce absurd. But let's not. What do I say? You say absurd. Which absurd. Is, where are you from? New York. Oh, all right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cosmopolitan. Absurd. But anyway, yeah. I agree with you completely. I remember when when Seinfeld was saying, 
these college campus crowds are uptight or yeah. whatever. And I remember all these lefty comedians, uh, young lefty comedians going like, you're out of touch. And then all these like non-lefty comedians going like, he's right. People are getting oversensitive. And I remember thinking to myself, like, how could it be that both sides think the other side is arguing from a place of zero reality? Of course, the answer is that both things are true, right? Yeah. Of course, the answer is that things have moved on and we, we're in a different place in society. Where thing, I'll give you a, an example of that. It used to be quite easy in comedy for a young, progressive, alternative type of comedian to get a big laugh using the gay pejorative F-bomb, right? Are you with me? Yeah. yeah. The F dash 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 right. dash T. Yeah. And, um, and I would do it. I would do that and it would always get a laugh because it was always from the right side. You know, it was always like a guy yelling it at me because he thought I was gay and I would go, you know, I was like wrong guy or whatever in a very effeminate way. Ha 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 ha. Right. I for years would would tell that joke, you know, and, and, and a number of jokes where that word was in there. And the, and the understanding, the implicit understanding was that I'm saying it on the right side. Then things changed. Right. And I remember the moment when I was like, oh, wow, I can't get away with saying this, no matter what positioning I'm saying it from, in the same way that you can't say the N-word on stage, now it's pretty radioactive. Not no comedian, but almost no comedian can get away no with, saying, yeah. with saying that word, right? Yeah. And not the N-word. The N-word, uh, we're leaving that aside. The F, the oh, F okay. dash dash G. Right, right. Uh, just to no make clear for comedian. your listeners. The black comic can yeah. say it, but... Uh, only no. 24 more letters to yeah. go through, but yes. So you get it. Yeah. So I remember thinking, oh, wow, that is too bad for me as a comedian and probably really great for the world as a whole <laughs> that we have progressed in such a way that I'm not able to get away with that anymore. So right. what made you come to that conclusion as opposed to the type of person who pushes back, who says it's free speech, who says they're wrong? Is it age? Is it politics? Is it... Oh, it's reality. That's the price. But that's your reality. There no, are no, no, people it's not of my reality. your exact generation it's, it's not who would say these kids, they got... But it's not my reality. As a comedian, what's beautiful and interesting about oh, a comedian I see what you mean, is yeah. you're always right up against hyper-reality. Yeah, it's just like, crowd, will yeah. this make yeah. you laugh or will it yeah. not make you laugh? Because if it won't make you laugh... Like, I'll tell you what, there's a different reality at the, like, at the comedy store in Los Angeles than there is at the UCB theater in Los Angeles, right? I can say different things. I can get away with different things at the comedy store versus at UCB. Just, it's just yep. real. So Does, Jerry's not wrong, but he's basically wrong. he's saying, but he's not wrong, but he's also admitting your material's not translating at least 100% to the audience you're playing. And as a performer, that's on you, not them. I, I'm not saying anything about Jerry Seinfeld's <laughs> material. All I'm saying is, as an observer of culture and society, as all comedians are, and, and him most of all, a uh, very observational comedian. What I saw in that argument is two groups, two factions that were pretending the other side was arguing from a place of zero rhetorical reality. And that's not true. It is true that on college campuses, free speech and free thought has gotten stifled by fear, oppressive liberalism and outrage culture. And it is also true that the world has moved past the ability to say anything offensive and have the person just be able to go like, what? It's a zero-sum game, baby. Free speech. Like, both things can be true simultaneously. So if I have to vote for one over the other, I guess I would vote for the free exchange of, well, I don't even know. No, I think they're pretty even and they work hand in hand. As a comedian, it's easier for me when there are no holds barred. And I don't particularly, all I care about is whether or not something is funny. And I won't say something I find personally offensive because I won't find that thing funny. 
you know, as I always say, like, you know, the controversy about, around like rape jokes and or Holocaust jokes or anything else, it better be the best joke you've ever written. Not because you don't have the right to tell it, but because it comes preloaded and with a hypercharge. So I've seen some jokes where I'm like, whew, that's a good joke. I would not tell it, but I, I am impressed that you were able to do that. Problematic is a new series on Comedy Central. Check out uh, every... Also, definitely check out Moshe's podcast, which uh, maybe you've heard of. It's called Hound Tall. Hound Tall. It's a spoonerism slash chiasm. Oh, and my memoir while you're plugging things. Sure. Casher in the Rye, the true tale of a white boy from Oakland who became a drug addict, criminal, mental patient, and then turned 16. But really, check out Problematic, Tuesday yeah. nights, 10 o'clock, Comedy Central. Thank you, Moshe. Fuck you. No, okay, sorry. I'll do it one more time. Do it again. Thank you, Moshe. Thank you for having me. And now the spiel. I really enjoyed Donald Trump's long interview with the AP. See, I enjoy Trump on the printed page. I'm a purist like that. So here he is talking about his meeting with the Chinese president and the media's reaction. He says about the media, you know, some of them either don't get it, in which case they're very stupid people, or they just don't want to say it. You know, because a couple of them said he didn't call them a currency manipulator. Well, for two reasons. Number one, he's not since my time. Well, which is true, by the way, but he's also not for a couple years before his time. But okay. Trump goes on to say, you know, very specific formula. You would think it's like generalities. It's not. They've actually, their currency's gone up. So it's a very, very specific formula. And I said, how badly have they been? And they said, since you got to office, they have not manipulated their currency. That's number one. But much more important, they're working with us in North Korea. Now, maybe that'll work out or maybe it won't. Can you imagine? I can't imagine. A really specific... For yes, I even knew there was a specific formula. And I knew he was mischaracterizing if China's a currency manipulator. But where did we get the idea that he was going to label them a currency manipulator and that also we should blame politicians who didn't label China currency manipulators? China is a currency manipulator. What they have done to us by playing currency is very sad. And I don't blame them. They've been very smart. I blame our politicians for letting this take place. So easy to stop. So easy to stop. So easy. So Donald Trump has hit 100 days. How do they know it's 100 days? Actually, there's a very specific formula for that. Is it fair that they have this measuring stick? It is not fair. Is it fair to mention that Trump asked to be judged by this measuring stick? What follows is my 100-day action plan to make America great again. I would say it is fair. In fact, that 100-day action plan was possibly the best-received speech of his campaign. So serious, such an agenda. Make no mistake, he invited the scrutiny. He told the AP in that interview that I talked about before, he said, as a candidate, uh, this is the question from the AP, as a candidate, you put out a 100-day plan. Do you feel like you should be held accountable to that plan? And Trump said, somebody, yeah, somebody put out the concept of a 100-day plan. But yeah, well, I'm mostly there on most items. So let's remember who that somebody was. Next, I will work with Congress to introduce the following broader legislative measures and fight for their passage within the first 100 days of my administration. 
Look, someone said that someone's going to drain some sort of marshland or something like that. Who knows? But Trump is right. 100 days is kind of a crazy yardstick. Of course, if we used a meter stick or a mile marker or a micrometer or a carbon data, I doubt he'd still be doing well. So let's do this. Let's spin the big wheel of Trump and pick a day during his presidency and judge him on that day. Here we go. Day 45. I'll be honest with you. I kind of put my finger on the wheel. I chose 45. He's the 45th president. Here's Reuters highlights for the day of U.S. President Donald Trump's administration on Sunday. Wiretapping allegations. The former top U.S. intelligence official rejects Trump's accusation that his predecessor, Barack Obama, wiretapped him. Also, travel order. Demand for travel to the United States over the coming months has flattened out following a positive start to the year with uncertainty over a possible new travel order likely deterring visitors. All right, let's spin it again. Day 70. Again, I chose 70. That's how old he is. Dallas Morning News. This day in Trump, day 70. Conflict with the Freedom Caucus and more investigation fallout. Also on that day, Trump's approval rating fell to historic lows. All right, one more spin. Doesn't have to be within the first 100 days. Day 200. Uh, We can only speculate, but let's say it'll be when Donald Trump dons the monastic gowns of the Zen monk and tries to convince America to seek a deeper spiritual truth. Let's spin it again. Day 336, Donald Trump in full apology mode has fully divested from all of his holdings. He's also authorized Attorney General Jeff Sessions to legalize marijuana, quote, but only the kind bud, none of that stems and seed ditch weed. Do you really think those things are possible? So again, the president said, judge me on 100 days. So we're going to. Now, he did come through with a few of the ideas he put out during that Gettysburg speech. He said for every new regulation, he's going to end two bad ones. This is virtually meaningless, but he's kind of been doing it. Although, what's a regulation? What's half a regulation? But he's been doing it. He's actually done a lot with regulations. He's changed the regulatory environment. He also talked about lobbying bans during that Gettysburg speech. And he did put in a sort of ban on lobbying after you leave the White House. You can't lobby for a foreign government. Of course, we found out since then that the guys who got him into the White House, including his campaign manager, was working for a foreign government. Also, he weakened the lobbying laws about lobbying for companies. So now you have a bunch of guys who a few months ago were getting paid a lot of money and now they're running the agencies that they once lobbied. He laid out six acts of Congress that were going to pass during the first 100 days. He passed none. He introduced only one, repeal Obamacare. He didn't allow that to come up for a vote. And he also made some promises that no one even seems to have the will to want to hold him to account for. We're going to cancel billions in payments to the United Nations climate change programs and use the money to fix America's water and environmental infrastructure. 
After 100 days, I really don't think the question is, how's he doing? Because the answer is lousy. I think the better question is, would we have been better off if Trump got anything done? Or are we better off with him having been so incompetent in execution or so mendacious in intention? We'll see how the next 100 days go. We've got the wheel all ready to spin, and we know how to spin it. There is a very specific formula for that. And that's it for today's show. We want to uh, welcome a new podcast and also plug a live appearance that I'm doing with that podcast. It's called We The People Live. It uh, makes debate healthy again. We're celebrating its launch with a live event in the Bell House in Brooklyn. Yeah, of all venues, that's where we're going to be tomorrow, April 25th, 8 o'clock. Me, David Plotz, Mike Kaplan, Kareen Fisher, and the host, Josh Zepps of We The People Live at the Bell House in Brooklyn. Chris Berube produces the gist. Chris is not problematic, but he is prickly, sticky, and ticklish. Pristicklish. Mary Wilson also produces the gist. She's not so much pristicklish as thorny and complex. Complorny. Steve Lichtai is executive producer of Slate Podcast, and he asked to be judged as compared to Tom Cruise's most problematic of movies. So how's Steve doing during his first hundred days of thunder? Andy Bowers, chief content officer of the Panoply Network, judges employees for the first few months during twilight, their first 100 dusks. The gist, the P is for perplexing, the R is for real tough, the O is, oh, so disturbing, I think I've had enough, the B is for borderline, the L is for lame, and if you find it touchy, then the patriarchy's to blame. Problematic. Oomperu, deperu, duperu, and thanks for listening.